So first off, thank you for this, man. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to talking a little music with you and whatnot. Okay. That's that's something really interesting about you. So <laughs> first off, before we get into everything else, who is Sean Flores? Uh, I am a 40-year-old gentleman who's lived in Marshfield for more than half my life now. Uh, my family moved here in sixth grade. We used to vacation here before we moved here. So I went right into Martinson Middle School. Okay. And I've been here ever since. And I started the business here. Um, I also want to talk a lot about my business partner, yeah. who's also born and raised here. Really? He's not with us today. He's running the machines. But uh, his story and mine are really kind of tight-knit. We have the same pipeline through to where we are today. Again, local guy. I didn't meet him until after high school. But we were in high school at the same time. Same point in time. So in regards to that backstory, you are from Mar- you're from, Mar- you're from Marshfield High. From what I understand, you were in the printing program. Yes. That. Yep. So basically, um, I've always had an interest in printing in general. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't really know anything about it, but it seemed to be the only thing that really stuck for me. I wasn't good at sports. <laughs> uh, I wasn't good at skateboarding or any of that kind of yeah. stuff, but I really enjoyed printing and whatnot. So um, what happened for me was as soon as I got the opportunity, like I always felt more comfortable in the tech program at Marshfield High. And, uh, you know, technical drawing and intro to technology and all that kind of stuff was what yeah. I really gravitated towards. And uh, when I finally was able to get into the Quip program uh, with Mr. O'Neill at the time, it's, uh, it really stuck for me, and I really enjoyed it. Did that one, you know, semester or you know, yeah. school year anyway, and uh, I was so excited about it that I actually left Marshfield High School to go over to South Shore Tech, knowing that they had a full hands-on print program. Uh, it's what I wanted to do, so I transferred to South Shore Tech, yeah. and in two months I did the entire program. No way. I was running their offset presses on my own the whole bit. It just you know, and I stayed back a year because you can't just join social vote right. tech halfway through your four years of high school. I had to reset the clock as a freshman, even though if I was stayed in Marshfield, I would have been a sophomore. So uh, I did the whole program in two months and quickly realized that I'm not staying back for this. I just did the whole thing. So I quickly transferred back to Marshfield. And then at that point, I was lucky because for me anyway, all the electives that were available were all, you know, tech. I was in woodshop for probably three hours a day because that was all that was available. Yeah. And so I spent most of my days in Quip Center and the woodshop and, um, you know, graduated printing T-shirts and, you know, working with Mr. O'Neill and running all, you know, the copy machines and everything. But the, the T-shirts is what really stuck. So talking about you had a backstory with your partner, you guys came from a similar background? Exactly. Um, in, you know, I haven't been in the new Quip Center. Uh, mm-hmm. When we when they, they first opened the school here, did a tour and I was so excited I can't wait to see the new print room yeah the people that guided us to the school never even brought us there and I heard down the road that other people got to see it and I was like what oh. just assuming that we got a bad tour guide or something I don't know but I still haven't seen the you know that what the school has to offer now but uh back in the day they had a very small um it was almost a closet with a t-shirt machine okay. in there and for me, I used to just bootleg band T-shirts, you know, bands that I liked. You know, I wasn't selling anything, you know, but I wanted, you know, Dropkick Murphy shirt or, you know, something along those lines. I would make it um, within the program. And my business partner, Chris, who uh, his family lives right up the street here on Forest Street, um, he was in the same program as well with Mr. O'Neill in the right. Quip Center. Um, during school hours, we did everything you would normally do, you know, get your classwork done, your assignments, you know, you're working for him, this and that making band t-shirts and as soon as june hit and school gets out for the season mr o'neill would hire one student his best maybe to print t-shirts all summer long uh for you know whatever summer camp or people around town that were using the school system to get t-shirts done so he hired me to do that um the summer of 1997 and i found out that the summer of 1996 the guy that he had hired is now my business partner chris so the two of us kind of went through the same pipeline with Mr. O'Neill. Learning but you guys didn't it. know each other in high school? He had no idea because he was two years ahead of me. Um, he graduated in 96, and I graduated in 98. So 90, 95, 96, he was the guy printing T-shirts for Mr. O'Neill. 97, it was me. And then 98, I got a job printing T-shirts for another local business. So we kind of both went through the exact same pipeline. And you guys met later on in life, or was it? At that team, when I graduated in 98, and I got a job at Rockham Athletic Supplies, okay. so again, major ties to Marshfield, you know, yeah. Medlands, and, you know, 
I know I Dave think, Evans really well. Exactly. I mean, his wife is my kid's school teacher, and most of the staff at Rockland Athletics are people that graduated in 98 with me. So, <laughs> you know, That's it's a awesome. tight-knit little, yeah. you know, community, and Chris was also working there at the time, so I met him and, uh, in, you know, at Rockland Athletics, and we've just remained friends ever since. So you worked at RES, but also prior when we were setting up, you mentioned you would work for the Dick Murphys for, what, nine years? Yeah, and I actually still do to this day. But um, what happened? How, how do you get in with a band like that? Well, it kind of intertwines with the T-shirts and the bootlegging. Okay. <laughs> to be honest with you, to, let me scale it back a moment. Um, in in high school, I bootlegged a shirt. This local band from Boston called Big D and the Kids Table. Right. Yeah. And um, I wore the. It was actually a sweatshirt, and I wore the sweatshirt to a show. And one of the guys in the band saw it and stopped me. He was, "Where did you get that?" I was like, I made it. Why? Is that bad? And he was like, no, I want one. And I was like, oh, amazing. I'll make you one. And he's like, well, where'd you do it? I said, I did it at school. And he's like, oh, can I come to school and help? And I went, yeah. And times have obviously changed a little bit, but here I am. I get some stranger from that goes to Berkeley in the city that I picked him up at the red line in Braintree, brought him into Mr. O'Neill's class, and we're making Big D and the Kids Table shirts together. So from there, there was a gentleman um, oh, that used yeah. to kind of manage them. And then he graduated on from them and started working with Dropkick Murphys. He needed a guy that knew how to, you know, because I used to work with the Big D and the Kids Table guys a lot and okay. uh, selling their T-shirts and whatnot. So the guy who worked for the Dropkick Murphys said, I got a guy that knows how to sell T-shirts and hired me to do it. And they whisked me away from Robin Athletics, and uh, I spent nine years on the road with those guys selling their T-shirts. That's awesome. So <laughs> what is Acme Band Supply, now known as Acme? It is, we're, we're mainly, at this point, a screen printer. Um, the background around the quirky name, to be honest with you, is um, we didn't want to step on anybody's toes. Uh, there's a lot of established printers around here. There's another printer right in town uh, down next to Levitate, and we actually started our print facility where yeah, they used there, to right? be. Yeah, we were, so they were in the building that was with the, the comic book store, yeah. and they moved over into the Levitate building on the corner, and then I signed a lease on that particular space. And, um, you know, in, in the spirit of, like, not wanting to compete, I already had a customer base. I had been printing T-shirts for bands and whatnot for years, off the clock. Even when I was on the road with Dropkick Murphys, Chris was doing it for me. So we would punch out at 5 and print till the sun came up overnight and then ship the shirts out to tours and things like that. And, uh, you know, renting John's uh, equipment and his machinery and electric and everything, you know, paying him for all that. And, you know... I already had a customer base, so I told, you know, the, the, the guys over uh, at Cyrus over there that, you know, I wasn't going to step on any toes. I wasn't going to put up anything that's a screen printing. I wasn't going to advertise, and, and, you know, and we never did. And um, we stayed in that space for about two years and massively outgrew it, yeah. a tiny little storefront, and uh, moved to the corporate park in Pembroke where we're kind of hidden in the back. But I can tell you, moving out of that business, out of that tiny little shack was, you know, it was the best thing we could have ever done because it really grew up the business. And that's where the company name came from because I needed something. We wanted to be legal. And it's not just screen printing, you know, in the spirit of Acme and Looney Tunes yeah. and whatnot. You know, is Acme Explosives or That's what I was, that's what I was curious. Did it have to do with it? Like exactly. That? And that because that's where my personal expertise kind of came from. I spent so many years on the road. I also worked as a stagehand in the city after I retired and whatnot, and I really have a, have a grasp on what bands are purchasing mm -hmm. to put their show on, whether it's a giant backdrop, you know, that goes up behind the drummer, or whether it's, you know, covers on the amplifier or drum heads or buttons or stickers or security passes or any of that stuff. That's all stuff that bands are buying, and they're buying it every single day. So that was where the company came from. You know, Acme, if you look it up, it means the best, and then... We're supplying the band with almost everything they need, sans musical gear, which is why I changed the company name to print. Uh, I changed it from Acme Band Supply to Acme Print Company just because I get a lot of calls of people trying to rent, like, a saxophone or a violin. <laughs> like, no. that's, we're not doing that. Sorry. It's not that kind of band supply. So, what type of print supply stuff do you do? I mean, I, I was on the website. You guys do a <coughs> wide variety of stuff. It's not exactly. just T-shirts. In-house in our facility in Pembroke, which is uh, 6,000 square feet now, so tenfold from where we were in Marshfield, um, we predominantly do screen printing, whether it's T-shirts, hoodies, hats, you name it. But we also in-house do banners, vinyl banners. Um, we do stickers. Uh, you can put them in your car, your locker, or whatever. Uh, we do buttons. Um, we 
through uh, security credentials. Uh, but bands have like a laminate pass that hangs from their belt loop. Uh, we do those um, wristbands for security. Um, you know, like I said, drum heads and amp covers. We sub out a lot of stuff as well. You know, we do trade share. We don't do embroidery, but you know, we hire other people to do that stuff. You know, big backdrops and whatnot. So it's you know. At this point in time, 90% of our business is screen printing because that's what we've really excelled at, and uh, we have a gigantic production capacity, bigger than anybody else really? around here in terms of screen printing. So, But all those little nuts and bolts and everything, we can take care of. How many employees? Uh, right now, there's 11 total. Yep, 11 total. And most of them are kind of um, like born and bred, if you will. Um, we'll hire anybody. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that know how to screen print. We don't want to hire a know-it-all. You know, I'd rather hire a young kid and groom, you know what I mean? Bring like, kind of teach him your way. Exactly, which is something that we've done. We've hired, um, I talked to Mr. Kenny, who I believe just retired. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I said, give me your top guy, because I was Mr. O'Neill's top guy at one mm-hmm. point. Chris was Mr. O'Neill's top guy before I came along. And then there was a big void of, yeah. you know, <laughs> a couple of decades, yeah. whereas we kind of lost sight of, where's your top guy that wants to screen print? Because we didn't have a business set up. But now that we do... You make that call, you're like, there's got to be somebody who's really excited about screen printing like we were, mm-hmm. that we can teach them, you know, the expertise that we learned and kind of go from there. Yeah. And we do the same thing with the Votech program. We've hired two people from okay. Social Votech as well. So how long have you guys been in business now? Um, this is the start of our eighth year now that we've been officially in business. That, you know, if you turn the clock back to 98, we're yeah. hiding in the shadows. Yeah, so, <laughs> so going back to that, you guys are you guys have really tight connection to music, especially like punk music. How did how did that come? It was just you know listening to music and pretty much D, the big D story. I mean, you know, for me, um, you know, when I you know as a teenager and you know kind of discovered punk rock and whatnot, it it, it really gravitated. Like mm-hmm. I took to it. I loved it. I was excited about it. And then you know, uh, my wife, uh, who's also from Marshfield, um, she I, I, the kind of the moment that sealed it all together for me, like. She used to wear a Mighty Mighty Bostones t-shirt every day. And I didn't know what the hell that was. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't know what that was. And um, I repeatedly asked her, and she always said, oh, you love it. You love it. You love it. Yeah. And uh, one day I got on my skateboard, and I just skated all the way across Green Harbor to a house and knocked on the door. And she opened the door, and she goes, what are you doing here? It's like, well, you told me all about this band. I want to hear it. And she gave me two CDs, and it stuck. All the way to this day, I mean, now we're married. <laughs> we, That's have, awesome. we have six-year-old twins, and, like, we, it, awesome. it was just a connection, and, you know, amongst all of that. And, you know, when I gravitated towards that, I liked it so much. And being, you know, my family situation, I didn't have money to, you know, really go to a ton of shows or yeah. buy merch or this and that. And if I did, you know, I'd work for it. You know, yeah. I'd go finding cans in the neighborhood or cutting lawns mm-hmm. and shoveling driveways. And um, I just started making my own shirts, and that's kind of where I discovered that, I could actually make something out of this. You know, these guys need 100 shirts. And then Mr. O'Neill is saying, well, yeah, I mean, you know, the the shirts cost two bucks, and then, you know, the school's going to need another buck to cover the ink and whatnot. And then, you know, then you want to charge them for them for five or six. And they're like, amazing. And then from Big D, it grew to Big D and kicked in the head. And from then it grew to, you know, a whole record label in the city's worth of bands to, you, you know, just, you know, like these bands meet other bands and, other fans which, of the which, band. Which is something I want to ask you about. Yeah, where did they get the shirts from? You know, I, was, I was looking at your list of bands on, on your website, mm-hmm. and I'm a huge Frank Turner fan. Oh, yeah. So, like, and I saw that, I got way too excited. Yeah, yeah, Frank, he, um, Frank's a, an amazing guy all around. Um, yeah, I've been to a few of the shows. He, from my connection with Frank is that um, the Dropkick Murphys have taken him on the road a lot, yeah. and vice versa, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, he actually just did a European tour with them just, you know, that just ended yeah. about three weeks ago. He did ago. his whole Lost Sessions thing over. Exactly. Yep. So I, what we used to do, I've done several backdrops for Frank Turner, mm-hmm. and I've also used to do all of his touring credentials. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't do really anything for him anymore mm-hmm. uh, just because, you know, like bands and their, their staff changes yeah, hands, you know. Cool. And the guy who used to call me for everything now works for Flogging Molly. So... I don't do any Frank Turner stuff anymore, but now we do all the Flogging Molly stuff instead. So, like, it just kind of grows, yeah. and, you know, as guys change what bands they're working for, you know, it kind of goes from there. Yeah. So give us, for those that don't know, give us the list of bands that you work with and bands that people may know. Um, our biggest, like, customer that's our 
you know, customer is definitely the Mighty Mighty Boss Games. Okay. So we are responsible for building their entire stage set. They do this big thing called the, uh, they call it the Hometown, hometown Throwdown, Throwdown every December. And if you ever Google Hometown Throwdown and start looking at pictures and just see these, uh, what look like yeah. movie sets, mm-hmm. we're building all that wow. in Pembroke or Marshfield, depending on where we were at the time. Um, that's the biggest one. And then the other bands that, you know, have any sort of, you know, recognition are not our customer. Their stuff, their bands that we get the account through merch companies. Okay. We're mainly a contract printer, and contract printing means that, like, you know, like merch companies like Kings Road or Ford Merch or um, Bravado or yeah. y- you name it, they're the ones who own the licenses and the rights to produce the merch. And they're hiring you. And they're hiring printers like us. So, you know, we've gotten a call from merch companies to get stuff done for ACDC, Pearl Jam, um, Jason Aldean, you know, like, the list goes on. Country, hip-hop, you know, reggae, it it doesn't matter. But you you guys seem really punk-focused. Not really, to be honest with you. I mean, like, that, one of our merch companies services a lot of punk and metal. Two of our big customers service a lot of punk and metal. So we get a lot of that stuff through the pipeline because those are the bands that they're catered to. And we're a printer that can handle that kind of printing. You know, like 10, 12 color prints, you know, a gnarly metal album cover that you can imagine, with like yeah. whether it's piranhas on it or yeah, you, you name it. You know, like we can handle that kind of work. So that's typically how it goes that way. You know, like sometimes, um, you know, like like a band like Pearl Jam, they came to Finlay Park and their merch was kind of basic, you know, like really easy for us. You know, like a big white shamrock with black Pearl Jam on a green shirt, you know, like very basic, you know, so we can handle the easy stuff and as well as the really technical mm-hmm. album covers type, type stuff as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, favorite band? Favorite band. That's I don't think I have an absolute favorite band, to be honest with you. Um, what's what's on the essential uh, kind of... It changes weekly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you go in my office and open Spotify, it's playing Frankie Valli in the Four Seasons right now. I'll tell you. <laughs> you know, I was going to ask you, what's, what's the playlist in the office like? Uh, well, it, actually, that depends. I mean, like, you go all back, and some days it's, it's gnarly German industrial like Rammstein. Uh, the next day, it's pop new wave. I mean, like, we really, yeah. we collectively, like, as a group of people, yeah. um, it, we try to change it up every day. And not keep, you know, we listen to a lot of reggae. It's yeah. it just because, you know, whether it's Stick Figure, the guy from yeah. Duxbury, uh, we have a, a, a huge relationship with Levitate in town. We, do, we produce a lot of Levitate's merch. Um, and I also work with the festival. And, um, you know, like, reggae sticks, punk rock sticks, Metal Sticks, Classics, Motley Crue, you know. But then, you know, like, you might be surprised. Like, there are days that we're just listening to, you know, Ocean Waves. <laughs> if it's really hot outside, you know, you got to yeah. just put on, like, Seabreeze and Ocean Waves for the day. Right. You know, like, that kind of thing mm-hmm. and just keep it moving. But it, it changes daily, man. What really about does. groups and organizations you guys work with outside, outside of music? Outside of music, uh, the biggest one would definitely be Levitate, like yeah. I just mentioned. Um, Dan and Jess... Um, both, I hit it off with them very, very quickly because when we put our press in and the name on the wall that said Acme Van Supply, Dan saw it and walked next door that day. And he's like, I'm trying to put on a festival this year. How can you help me? And I was like, I got everything that you, like, I'm going to give you this guy's phone number and that guy's phone oh, number. That's awesome. You know, I, I will never take credit for Levitate. Dan and Jess do everything for that company. I'm the guy that's kind of hidden in the shadows and, you know, it, uh, when they first um, had Susan Tedeschi, um, the Tedeschi trucks yeah. through, uh, there was a major panic about weather. It looked like there was going to be lightning all day and mm-hmm. storms and this and that. And, you know, he called me and he was like, what do I do? Let me call Chris Russell. Chris Russell is a guy that works for Live Nation and does all the outdoor shows. And I called Chris Russell and I put him on a three-way and I was like, Chris, this is Dan. Dan, this is Chris. Now, Chris, you've been putting on outdoor concerts for do? 20 years for Live Nation Dan's looking at maybe lightning this week. What do we do? And Chris and Dan, uh, you guys have it. I'm going to step back and you guys talk. And, you know, because Chris was able to, you know, explain, here's what we got to do. You know, you, you gotta, this is the plan A, B, C, D to make sure that this happens. And Tedeschi Trucks plays a couple of songs today. You know, that kind of yeah, thing. And, you know, cause, like, so I was able to connect some dots for him. But, you know, that was a long time ago. You know, at this point. You know, I don't do, uh, I don't really do much other than sell the band t-shirts. <laughs> they take care of all that. <laughs> it's just crazy how much that festival is. Oh, it's amazing. And I, I couldn't be more proud of them. They, they work all year round and, and, and very hard and, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, 
the, we do a lot for Levitate, and then we also do um, we do a couple of local summer camps, and um, we've worked a little bit with Plymouth 400, yeah. um, that you know non-band stuff, and um, you know we don't have a ton of local businesses. We've yeah. kind of left that to the established businesses, mm-hmm. like whether it be the Cyrus guys or Rockland Athletics. You yeah. know, there's a lot. You know, I've had a customer come in before that I know was a customer of Rockland Athletics, mm-hmm. and I said, "You got to stay over there." We're not trying to poach anybody. Wow. You know, somebody comes in organically, you know, like, you know, hey. It's like you, you have your niche, you know what you. Exactly. We'll print for anybody anything. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, if you've already set up with somebody that we know, yeah. like, just, you know, like we have a, we wouldn't be where we are without Rock and Athletics. Yeah. And we've, you know, whether it was renting the equipment, like I mentioned ACDC earlier, that was at a point where ACDC came through that we were still at the little storefront in Marshfield mm-hmm. and they needed a thousand shirts. So we had no choice but to call the Medlands and say, can we rent your auto tonight? Because they had an automatic press. And, uh, you know, they, they're on the verge of getting their second one now. But they had one. We didn't. And we said, do you mind if we just rent it tonight? And on top of that, in, in the screen printing world, mm-hmm. in the wholesaling of the blanks, you know, the T-shirts and the hoodies, uh, the big companies are not really excited to work with small and, and new customers. You know, they've gotten burned so many times over right. the years. You know, once you throw a print on that shirt, and send it off. If the bill isn't paid, they're never seeing that again. You know, so they are not really eager and excited to work with new businesses, which is the hardest part of starting a business because, you know, you have electricity at your house and you call the electric company and you say, hey, you know, I need power. And they go, great. And they come in and hook it up and then they send you a bill. In the business world, you call the power company and say, I need my power turned on. And they go, we need 500 bucks. Why? And they're like, well, it's a deposit. Deposit on what? Well, we don't know you. You're, you're, a, new, you're a new customer. You visit, blah, blah, blah. That doesn't, I'm a, I've, I've had an electric bill with my house for 20 years. You know yeah. me. And they're like, no, no, no. So, like, you, you know, like, you literally, everybody wants a deposit and this and that. So what we did, and we had the, the fortunate we were able to do this, is we bought all the blank shirts and everything through Rockland Athletics for a couple of years. Because for me, I'm competing in the band merch world. You know, it's not like a plumbing company that, you know, comes in, I need 20 shirts, and they cost $10 a piece. In the band merch world, a lot of the shirts are like $5 or less, and you can pull up any ad or whatever. This guy's going to do it for three, and I got to, you know, like, this is a set amount. And then if you don't have good pricing with those suppliers for the shirts, they're going to charge you four and change, you know, per shirt. And then I'm trying to sell this at five, and, you know, it's just impossible to work. So luckily with... You know, John, you know, we worked with him for a long time, and he let us buy all those blank shirts through his company. So, you know, we've really leaned on a lot of other local businesses to help get us to where we are. What's one thing about your industry that people may not realize? How much work goes into it? To, I, you know, like, I, I – just a case in point today, um, I quoted a company um, that said, I can get this done for $2.60 a print, plus they're only going to charge me four screens. I came back and I said, well, first of all, you're charging you for a two-color print. It's actually three. So I'm charging you for the three-color print, mm-hmm. and our print price is $3, and this entire job is actually 10 screens. And they said, well, we're going to go with the other guy. And I went, okay, that's fine. You know, like, I don't, yeah. I don't mind that. The thing about it is I happen to know the other company that they're working with and um, how they put the print on the shirt and their process and the whole bit. And the way I look at it is that company's kind of giving away what they're doing. And then for us, um, we're very transparent about what we do, what it takes. If you buy a black shirt, this is a two-color print. I know you see just black and white, but there's two layers of white ink here. And if I only put one layer of white ink on it, it's going to look like crap. So, you know, we're transparent about that. I am going to put down two layers of white. Even if this was yellow, it needs a white under it. You know, there's a lot of shops that just kind of give that away or kind of, you know, oh, no, I can do white on black. It would be no big deal, but it's not going to be nice. Exactly okay. what this is exactly what it takes to do. And then if I wanted to turn the clock back a little bit on that same customer that brought me that quote, um, they quote, they asked us to quote a job back in December, and they said it's a three-color print. And I looked at it and went, oh, it's not. It's a four-color print. And then they came back and went, well, the other guy said he's going to do this. And I said, all right, in the spirit of getting the relationship going, I'll match that guy's price. And they said, okay, great. And they sent me the job. And what it ended up being was actually a five-color print because we actually had to split the black ink on it as well. So it cost me even more to get it done. And I had to explain that to them, like, oh, 
So that's what I get for trying to match somebody right. else's thing. I'm doing twice as much work because I want to get it done right. right. And sometimes it takes a little bit more mm-hmm. than what you see, you know, visually. You know, like there's more to this than what goes into it is what it boils down to, which is why we don't hide anything. We're going to charge for screens and films because we need screens and films to do the job. Other people that say no setup and no screens and no films, they're hiding it in the cost of the shirt. So our cost of the shirt, I'm just making up numbers here, this shirt's $7. The other guy might charge you $8 and no screens and fees and this and that. Like, you know, but mine might be a dollar less, but then you add the screens and everything to it, it's going to be the same $8, you know, that kind of thing. Is that, do you think that's what separates you guys from others in the industry, that more kind of this is exactly what it's going to cost, this is exactly what's going to happen? No, I, I don't really think so. Everybody has to have their own pricing. You know, where we are, where we do a lot of contract work, um, I just got home from Tennessee. We flew out to Tennessee and met with a company that has a giant, you know, sharehold in the concert touring. And he's doing the stadiums and this and that and all these big things. And uh, he has a price list that is, I mean, it, it makes my head want to just catch fire yeah. looking at it because it is so low. And he says that his whole network of printers all the way around the country are all working on the same price sheet. And then he brought us a job just last week. It was 20,000 towels uh, for a sports team. Uh, not anybody local. It was a little bit further out. But the, I happened to do the math, and the cost that he's willing to pay for these particular shirts or towels or whatever the heck they were um, was less than what it's going to cost me to do the job. So I, I'm getting off uh, topic here. <laughs> Sorry. Um, what, what it ultimately boils down to is it costs a lot. Everybody has their own situation of what their price needs to be. I can't be printing for the same price that a guy in Nevada is printing for. You know, there's entirely different circumstances, whether it's environmental, whether it's labor laws, whether it's, you know, workers' comp, insurance, real estate. I mean, we're in the Northeast, and I'm in Pembroke, and I live in Marshfield. I wouldn't be in Pembroke if there was commercial property in Marshfield. There isn't any. So that's why I had to move to <laughs> to Pembroke. And, you know, the next cheapest place to move out of, you know, this neighborhood, if you might want to find something a little cheaper, would be something like Canton or something yeah. like that. You know, yeah, yeah. from there, you go in southeast to, like, New Bedford Fall River. And, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, obviously, and the you guy. you track those employees. Are they going to go? Yeah. And, and then you're also, like, you, you know, like, you, your life. You know, like, now you're spending three hours in the car a day. You know, things like that. It's not worth it. You know, I'd rather pay a little bit of rent and be, like, ten yeah. minutes from my house than commuting an hour and 15 to, mm-hmm. you know, Fall River every day. So we can't really compete with what the guy in Ohio can do. Okay. You know, their minimum wage is still like $6. I think. You know, ours awesome. is, you know, 13 now. It's still like, and it's still climbing. So, like, you know, it's tough for me to do that. But I think what really sets us apart from everybody else in the neighborhood is uh, our production capability. We have the capacity of doing um, 300 uh, to 400 shirts per hour per machine we have three of them. We can do anywhere between 1,000 and 1,500 shirts an hour all day long. So at that rate, eight to 10,000 shirts a day can come out of our facility, and nobody else in this area can has production capability like that. That's definitely what sets us apart. Favorite project you've done? What was that? Favorite project you've done? Favorite project? Um, probably a, a Mighty Mighty Boston set. Uh, they're just so magical. And, you know, I said the connection with my wife and everything earlier, and when I told the band that, they were like, what? You know, like, they, we've never heard anything like that, you know. But, like, that was, you know, the connection. And, you know, um, I work very closely with the band, you know. Um, they come up with an idea, and then usually, you know, they got to go to somebody like me who has a little bit of the, the stage experience. You know, I'm not a musician. I don't have a musical bone in my body. Okay. I'm a behind-the-scenes guy. You know, yeah. I can make the stage look like it's got a stage, you know. And I also hate taking credit for everything because there's a lot of people involved yeah. when we build something like the rat. You know, if you Google the Boston's and the rat or something like that, mm-hmm. you'll be able to see we turned the stage at House of Blues into Kenmore Square. And it was kind of, um, you know, like an idea that just kept kind of, you know, taking suit. The first year that I talked to the Boston's about – um, I was trying to convince Joe Gittleman, the bass player, like, you got to get this thing out of the Middle East. Please, let's move this to House of Blues where we can do something. 
you know, you get a big yeah, stage. Yeah, and for those that are so in the Middle East, it's really yeah, it's sweaty, it's dark, it smells like dead rats. Like it's <laughs> small. It's yeah, it's small. It's like and you're it playing is, someone's really big basement. It's magical in its own right. It Don't is. get me wrong, because the first time I saw the Boston's was in the Middle East downstairs. You know, and there's all kinds of purists and whatnot that, you know, oh, they're gonna bring it back. No, yeah. it's not going back there ever. You know, and because and a lot of that has to do with just like what people don't realize about we can do what we do now. Mm-hmm. So, like, the first year that I was able to work with the Boston's on set design, we made the stage look like the living room. I still have a lot of these props at my house. We made a fireplace, and we put a television in there playing a U-log and a stocking for each guy in the band and mm-hmm. 17-foot Christmas tree, and then we had a backdrop that looked like a living room wall. And it was real rudimentary, but it was perfect, you know, for that first year out of, you know, out of uh, the Middle East and where we're going to go with it. And then from there, the second year, we went bigger, and uh, we made the outside of the house now. So I built this giant purple house with windows with Christmas lights that all blinked independently and bushes made out of tiny little potted plants. It's all smoking nerves, you know, like, but, you know, the drum riser looked like the front porch with a railing and the big door on, you know, everything. So we went from the inside of the house to the outside of the house. From the outside of the house, we then, what was the biggest undertaking at the time we ever did is it was called the Great Wall of Santa. And um, if you're familiar with um, plastic blow mold Santa Clauses, you know, they're very big in, like, yeah. the 70s, 80s. You know, everybody had one. Yeah. They have uh, two of these that they've been putting on stage every single throwdown since the first one. And um, he wanted to make the entire back wall of the stage just plastic Santa Clauses. And they all had the light on. So me and Polly and, and Dave Mack and Stu, and we put our heads together on how we can pull this off. And we sourced all of the plastic Santas from Benny's. We called them up and said, we need 110 plastic Santas. And they're like, what? what? You know, like, and they're expensive, too. They cost, like, 85 bucks per Santa. Um, and uh, we drilled a hole in the top of his head, and we strung it like a fishing lure, and then oh, rigged it to the trussing and had them all laying on the floor. You send the truss up, and it yanks it all up in the back. And, like... It, it came together for something that seemed completely outrageous, like you'd never be able to pull this off. Once that giant wall of Santa was hanging, it was, yes, <laughs> to the point where we did it again because it was so impressive. You know, fast forward another four years and we built, you know, a rooftop set and we built this set. And that, you know, they all had their own idea. Um, we did the Great Wall of Santa twice. But the, the biggest endeavor was definitely the front of the rack because – that involved a 20-foot-wide lit sign that said the Rathskeller and, I mean, trying to get those stained-glass windows to look right and a giant oak door with a huge handle and, like, bringing in, you know, like, the legends of the place. I can't remember his name, but there's a stained-glass window, that, and they brought back uh, the memory of the old door guy. Yeah. Uh, and then Mr. Butch, who was a homeless guy around Kemmo Square, he got enshrined in the other stained-glass window and, like, really doing that, you know, and... Seeing the reaction to it, which was, you know, the fans are always appreciative, but, you know, I remember after night two, I was leaving, you know, it was probably like one in the morning, and, and Dickie, the singer of the band, he's he's just in the back of the room on the second floor, leaning on the railing, staring at the set, and he's reliving, you know, memory lane, you know, and, and, and he's like, I don't know how we're ever going to top this, man, and I was like, we don't, we can't, we're not gonna, let's not even try to top this one, let's let this one be what it was, and then from then year, you know, we've scaled it down a little bit. You know, a lot of times now we're just doing foam cutouts. It's just as magical. How long does it take to kind of put that together? Like, when do you start kind of the planning process? The planning process with the Boston's typically starts in the midsummer, right around July, because in, in July they need to come up with the idea because tickets go on sale in August, um, at the very latest September, but usually August, and you can't really start advertising unless you know what you're doing. You know. Having some sort of theme on the ad mat is going to help sell tickets and get people into the holiday spirit. This starts right after Christmas. So, you know, like getting that idea, it's got to be on paper in July. And then between July and October is when the brainstorming takes place. All right, how do we pull this off? What can we do there? You know, whether it's finding fake pigeons to put in a fake, you know, pigeon coop on the roof or something. You know what I mean? Like we do all that work. And then like right at Thanksgiving, like 1st of December, it's go time, yeah. and you start printing and cutting and constructing and painting and all that kind of stuff and getting everything staged, and then depending on what the venue does, if they don't have any shows, um, they'll let us in and let us start building like a week early if there's nothing else going on. 
but if they have shows, like this year was the first year that we didn't have a build day because they had Christmas, and then the day after Christmas, it was one day, and then the throwdown started on the 27th. And one particular show that Hustle Blues Boston wants every single year after Christmas, in addition to the throwdown, mm-hmm. is the roots from the Jimmy Fallon show. So they had no choice but to sandwich the roots in between Christmas and the Bostons, and they had shows leading up to Christmas as well. So, yeah, all right, we have no build day. So it was, you know, loading in at 6 a.m. and starting to build this thing, cracking on. Yeah, it was, you know, interesting. But those are always the, you know, the most fun. When it's finally done, it's magical. Has there there been one of those, like, pretty cool moments where you've seen a band use, like, a a background you've done or someone wearing a T-shirt that you've done? Like, like, that's pretty sweet. Um. Every now and then, you know, like uh, I noticed uh, like a couple months ago, it seemed like uh, all the guys in Rancid um, were all wearing creator shirts, like this old German metal band. And we've done a lot of creator merch over the years for various merch companies. And it seemed to me like out of nowhere, like Lars and Matt and like, what happened? Did they just see creator the other day? You know, because you're seeing guys that, you know, like band guys that you idolize or whatever, and you you really like these guys. And they're wearing stuff, you know, like that you wore, you know. And, like, I remember when I first started the company, uh, Matt Freeman, the bassist for Rancid, he was like, oh, it's like uh, I was wearing a work shirt that had our logo embroidered on it. And he goes, can I have one of those? What do you want one of these for? He's like, I don't wear it on stage. Really? He's like, yeah. Can you mail me one? So, you know, he texts me his address and, all right, made two black Acme work shirts and shipped them out to California. So Matt, could, you know, some flattered, you know, it's yeah. like Matt Friedman wants to wear my shirt. <laughs> you know, that's like, sweet. that's cool, you know. But, you know, from there, like, we like, you know, the success of everything. Yeah. You know, like right now there's a uh, another metal band that's our own customer. Uh, they're mm-hmm. called Sacred Reich, and um, they've been around since the early 80s and, you know, like legendary record covers and stuff like that. And we've been using uh, what we're printing right now socials, you know, like Instagram and whatnot. Here's a 10-color print on press. You know, here's what it takes to get the print on the shirt, and here's the finished product. And then tagging them, and then having them re, you know, they're, you know, um, yeah, they're regramming it out to their followers, and then we're getting new followers because their fans are like, oh my god. And a lot of times what happens is the fans of these bands, especially the Boston's, are seeking out, trying to figure out the surprises. We're not a company that's just going to give up a surprise. Like, I'm not going to put the Sacred Reich tour shirt on our social tomorrow because I want the band here. They, they have all the rights in the world to release yeah. what they created for this particular mm-hmm. event or whatnot. So I'm not going to do it. But that doesn't stop super fans from coming to us and being like, so uh, what's the theme of the throwdown this year? You know, that kind Calling of thing. You, like, I'm not saying anything. Trying yeah. to sneak around the shop. <laughs> exactly. So it's kind of fun in that regard, having the fans of the bands that we're working for be, you know, trying to seek out what we're doing. What's your best burning the midnight oil printing stuff at 3, 3 a.m. story? Oh, my God. Chris and I printed for three days straight. One day. Uh, one day. One <laughs> week. <laughs> one week. It was, um, it, at this point, it was probably about five years ago now. So we moved out of the Marshfield location and moved into Pembroke. And for the first, like, five months or so, we were running two manual presses. And we had a, a uh, at the time it was a 1,200 square foot warehouse bay, mm-hmm. and um, we had the two manual presses, and that's when we started getting the we got to get an auto. The orders are getting bigger and bigger. We're not going to be able to rent off an Athletics Press for the rest of our lives. So we started looking into one, and uh, we got our first auto, and installed it, and then it was kind of go time because at that point I called up Kings Road, uh, one of our very big customers. They own the, the merch rights for Dropkick Murphys, yeah. for example. And they went, so you're going to print the dropkick stuff this year? And I went, can I? And they went, yup. And, I mean, they hit us with thousands of shirts. We quickly realized that we were way out of our league, way over our heads. We had no idea what we were getting into. We just figured, we got to press, we can print. And we weren't expecting thousands of shirts out of the gate. And then two days later, the reorder of thousands of shirts. You know what I mean? Like, I really didn't understand the logistics I knew how to sell it. I knew how to order it. I knew all that end of it because I did it for so long. I never printed that kind of order. And we were quickly over our heads, and we had no choice because at the time we didn't have any employees either. It was still just the two of us. Um, We had no choice but to just work. And at the same time, 
our biggest customer ever for our business. It's a company out of New Hampshire called Forward Merch. We're their number one place to sub their workouts. They have a huge facility themselves, but they also have more work than they can print in a day. Yeah. So they sent us this band called Nightwish, and uh, Nightwish was touring Canada. And you know anybody in the merch world knows that merch sells better in Canada than the states. Really? It's all based on a per head, and the numbers are just way up in markets like Edmonton and Calgary and Vancouver and Toronto. Big, big, you know. Big, big sales nights in those cities. Really? Yeah. It's it's almost double what you get out of the States in terms of merch sales. So Nightwish was touring Western Canada, and they were like, we need you to do Nightwish. And we're like, all right, cool. And we took that because we got the Murphys out of the way mm-hmm. and figured we didn't weren't expecting the reprints for the Murphys. So Nightwish, on top of the Dropkick Murphys, at the exact same time with one machine, we had no choice but to just keep working. And we worked for three days straight without going home just to service those two stores at one point. It was by far the most midnight oil that you could possibly That's burn. Wild. Yeah. And we're a couple of guys, you know, like I spent so many years on the road yeah. that I've always had it kind of in my brain. Like I'm a 11 a.m. to 3 in the morning, yeah. kind of my awake time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I sleep from 3 a.m. to 11 a.m. because, you know, so many years of like that's when the day starts, yeah. uh, ends and starts. Um, it was no problem. We always figured that we got more work done at night. But now that we have more employees, we can, you know, we're not really working as much as we used to, but, I mean, we did one night shift last week, and we worked till about 11.30 at night, and that was the first time we've done that in probably seven months, you know. Wow. It, it, those days are long behind us, but the first the first five years of the business, uh, I, we, neither one of us were home. We both have kids, you know. I got uh, two six-year-olds, and he's got a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, and, it, like, we didn't even see our kids for, like, weeks because of working all night leaving at 4 in the morning, 5 in the morning, going home, sleeping for 3, 4 hours, then coming back. Chris used to sleep at the shop. He'd just sleep in a pile of T-shirts under the dryer because it, he lives in, you know, he lives in Abington right in the South yeah. Weymouth line. And uh, so he's got to go all the way through, like, Union Point yeah. and everything. It's, it's not as quick for me to get home. So, right. you know, that, roll, get a big pile of shirts and sleep there for the night. But years of very, very, very late nights. Luckily, those are mostly behind us. <laughs> so what's the future for the future for us is um, I obviously I hope we're in business for a long time. Um, we definitely need to hire a couple more employees. That's the most um, imminent. I, we need help right now. You know, we lost the guy that we had in the fall. Uh, it was good for us in a sense that in this winter was slower than normal for us. We didn't really have anybody on the road. Um, so I got to hire a couple people to help out. But um, we're kind of comfortable where we are in terms of equipment and whatnot. There's a couple more pieces of equipment that we need to buy. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it looks like we're going to need to buy them sooner than we had anticipated. Um, I really want to get off, you know, like leases paid off and that kind of stuff. But, you know, we re-signed, you know, a lease with the landlord for five years. So we're stuck with that in Pembroke in five years. I would like to buy our own building, uh, wherever that may be, hopefully somewhere in the area still, um, because right now we're paying a huge amount of rent money that's, you know, more or less lighting money on fire <laughs> because, you know, you're not getting any return on what you're spending in rent. So ideally what we'd like, to, both Chris and I would like to see is um, getting our own building, you know, maybe 10,000 square feet, um, running the business there, and then at some point in time maybe selling the business and maintaining ownership of the building and, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, maybe we get a fourth auto down the road. Um, I think Chris and I both want to cap the production at four machines. Okay. We do a lot of trade shows that we, you know, we attend them anyway, not vending or selling. Mm-hmm. But uh, we go to um, a big trade show every year. We talk to all the experts that we can find, um, whether you know, from manufacturers, whether it's ink or equipment or this. And we've always kind of been told that the over/under is four. Once you get over four machines, you know, and even people that own more than four machines, they'll tell you they're regrets. <laughs> so we're thinking that we're going to cap it at four machines. Um, if we get a fourth machine where we are now, we're going to do some major rework of the space because it's not going to fit right. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that, you know, we, we hope that we can buy a building. Um, hopefully, you know, like the employees will be around 20, uh, you know, at that point, you know, like to, to maintain all that and just kind of keep going where we're going. But, you know, we're, we're experts in screen printing. We are self-proclaimed print nerds. Um, the two of us are always, you know, grabbing a shirt and, you know, 
we don't necessarily talk down on other people's work because you don't know the circumstances. Yeah. You don't know their equipment. You don't know their angst. You don't know the weather. It doesn't matter. We like to try and figure out how they did it. Is you know, well, how the heck did they do that? You know, whether it's at the mall or at a gift shop or somebody brought us a shirt that somebody else printed and they want us to match it or you know that kind of thing. Figuring out how they did it is very exciting for us. So you know, we just want to keep improving our process and eventually maybe own some property and keep some people employed. Getting into the tail end here. So okay. What's the best piece of advice you've been given from a business perspective? Best piece of advice from a business perspective. Um, that one is a little tough for me, uh, just because it's it's not anything I've ever really like yeah. kind of sought out and tried to seek mm-hmm. and, and find. Um, I have no business training. <laughs> uh, I kind of joke with my employees and co-founder Chris and everything about how I make this up every day as we go. Um, so it, I do go out and ask for advice and whatnot. Um, but in, in the print world, you know, like some general advice that I kind of accept and just, you know, kind of hang your hat on is um, just charge what you need to charge. You know, there's always going to be a guy who can do it cheaper. You know, I like that's what I'm saying about like, you know, being print nerds and looking at somebody else's print, you know, you don't know the circumstances, you know, like figuring out how they did it, you can usually pull off, but anybody can get a print on a shirt and everybody's going to charge a different rate. We are in a feverishly competitive business that has printers everywhere. And it seems to me, I'm a member of quite a few uh, Facebook groups of, you know, beginner printers and whatnot. And I'm always trying to lend, you know, advice and opinion and, and expertise and I feel like I'm the only guy that, like, in this one particular group that I'm, I'm very active on, everybody else will kind of throw out a blurb, like, use 110 mesh, you know, something like that. But I would go in and I'd be like, you should use 110 mesh, and here's why. So all my posts are, like, you know, like a big bubble on the screen, you know, of a lot of information. Um, so for me, like, you know, like that advice of just, you know, I'm kind of over trying to compete with everybody else out there. We're established enough that... We're not advertising. Um, we had a billboard up at the Hanover Mall recently. We yep. didn't pay for that. <laughs> a buddy of mine works at that company, and he called, and he was like, can you give me an ad? There's not enough to put in the rotation. And I was like, yeah. 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 So we had an ad up there for two days. Not a single phone call was made. So. <laughs> but we don't advertise. You know, We're good at what we do. We know the quality of product is out there, and anybody that has worked with us in the past knows that we're going to make good if a mistake comes up. We're in the print business. Mistakes happen. It's inevitable. We try and keep them as least as, least as possible. So for me, the best advice that uh, we've gotten is just, you know, kind of own what you do and don't be afraid to charge for it. You know, I might be more expensive than company A, B, or C. I might. You know, the example I gave you earlier in the, in the episode here um, they had that, that very problem. You know, they're asking me to come down to a certain price. I said, here's where I'm at, knowing that the last one I did, I got burned on because yeah. I are, you know, I'm, we're getting, you know, I'm 40 now, you know, my business partner's 42 and, you know, it's yeah. like, I don't want to compete with, you know, what other people can do. I know what we can do. This is what it's worth to us. This is what it need. This is what it costs for us to do it. Mm-hmm. Everybody has different rent. Everybody has different incomes. Everybody has different shirt costs. Everybody, everybody has their own thing. So, you know, mm-hmm. in our system, this is what we want to do. And I'm just, my advice is that, that I've accepted is. No more trying to really compete. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so say this activity is in the, the quick program right now, you know, that comes to you for advice. Mm-hmm. What advice do you give them? Uh, I will hire them right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> if they want advice, I'll one-up you. I'll give you a job. Wow. That's, uh, that's basically um, Chris and I, we kind of get excited about finding somebody that is equally as excited about printing as we are. Um, you know, for me personally, I'm not the kind of business owner that sits in the office staring at a computer screen or, you know, is on the phone or whatever. You know, I can do everybody's job in the building. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. And I will do everybody's job in the building. Mm-hmm. With only 11 employees in the workload that we have, if somebody calls in sick, i got to take over. I'm up there breaking down screens or mixing inks to keep the machines rolling. I'm doing whatever it takes. Um, we want to hire people that want to print and want to take some somebody's artwork and get it on a shirt, get it out to whatever it is, because everybody we're printing for is a fundraiser of some sort, whether it's you know retail or you know for, you know for charity or whatever. We're all trying to raise money through putting a print on a garment. Uh-huh. So for us, we want to find somebody that's equally as excited about that. 
and I will give the blueprint to anybody who asks. Look at some of the Facebook groups of mine. I'm on there all day telling everybody exactly our successes and failures and reasons why, and here's how you should do this. And I'm not saying that we're the best company out there because I'm sure there's somebody who's better. We're not the worst. We're somewhere in the middle, and we're completely happy with that. And I'm happy to share what we've learned. If you could jump in the time machine to the start of your career, what would you tell yourself? Um, I would tell myself to dive into it. Um, because for me, like going all the way back to high school, and, you know, I used to work at, I've only had a couple of jobs in my life. It's same like Chris. Chris only had one job, and that was working at Rockland Athletics. So he worked for Mr. Only on the Quip Center and then went to Rockland Athletics, and then you got he were co-founded Acme. So he's, a, and for me, I worked at Brent Rock Market and Rockland Athletics and then the Dropkick Murphys and then Acme, you know, and I had one job, you know. I took other jobs in between, but, like, my livelihood was, you know, I had the one job at House of Blues, but, you know, I, I would have said to start it, just get into it, because had we started our business in 2000 or 2001 when Chris and I were joking about this, pulling a squeegee at Rockland Athletics, we had a name for the company, we made T-shirts, we made posters, it just never happened. So if I could turn back the clock, I would say, just do it. We'd be in such a different position right now had we started all the way back in 2000. I, you know, I probably would have never hit the road and whatnot. The company would look a lot different than it is. But I was really, you know, kind of nervous. And for me and my customer base that I knew, everybody needed their order yesterday. And I'm always going to say yes. So I was saying, I don't want anything to do with this because everybody wanted it yesterday and they all want it for nothing. And, you know, looking back, I should have started this business when I was 20 years old. <laughs> and I didn't, but yeah. we're happy now. Yeah, you're happy now. Yep. And last but certainly not least, if people want to find out more about you, your company, where can they go? Uh, the best bet that I'm telling people at this particular moment is look at our socials. Uh, the new website is under construction at the moment. Uh, our socials are Acme Print Co. And uh, both Facebook and Instagram. It's kind of Instagram is a running portfolio of what we're doing, what we're allowed to showcase what we're doing. Gives you an idea what the shop looks like, the equipment, how it works, you know, plus cool prints that we've been able to do. Uh, and Facebook is uh, the same thing. You know, they feed to each other, and that's about it. Uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks we'll have a new website that's built that's going to be a little bit more informative uh, and, you know, professional. But for now, the socials, Acme Print Co. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely.